While conservatives rally around President Trump's America First message, leftists are trying out a new message of their own. This one care of Minnesota Congress lady Ilhan Omar. It's a little bit weird for U.S. politics, but the message is Somalia first. I'll translate. Ilhan says, we as Somalians, we love each other. There are areas of friction that led us to kill each other, but in reality, we're an organized society, brothers and sisters, people of the same blood, people who know they're Somalians first, Muslims second, who protect one another, come to each other's aid, and the aid of other Muslims too. Put a pause right here. At least for the first part of what she's saying, I kind of get it. At least for the first part of what she's saying, she's saying, look, we are brothers and sisters. Literally, that is true, right? You, people who are in your tribe, your nation, your race, you're the, I mean, at, when you get down to the most basic unit, it's your family. And you, you care about your family more than you care about other people's families. You care about your family certainly more than you care about your extended family, right? And then you care about your extended family more than you care about other people's families. And you care about your tribe more than you care about other tribes, and you care about your community of tribes more than you care about some far-flung community of tribes, and you care about your nation more than you care about other nations. That's just human nature. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with there being uh, priorities of charity. That's, that's totally normal. That's been true for all of history. She says something weird here, right? She says, first I'm Somalian, then I'm a Muslim. Somalia is more important to me than my religion. Very strange. She keeps going. A couple days ago, uh, many many Somalians have personally called me to encourage me to speak to the U.S. government and to help Somalia. They wanted to know what the U.S. government will do. My answer to Somalians was the U.S. government will only do what Somalians in the U.S. tell them to do. They will do what we want and nothing else. They must follow our orders. We Somalians must have that confidence in ourselves. We live in the U.S., pay taxes in the U.S., have a real voice. The U.S. is a country where one of your daughters is a congressman to to represent your interests. Somalia will never be in danger as long as I'm in the U.S. Congress. The U.S. would not dare to support anyone against Somalia to steal our land. Sleep in comfort knowing I'm here to protect the interests of Somalia from inside the U.S. system. That's what I'm doing here in Congress. I'm here to protect... Somalia, this is the best argument for restricting immigration that I have heard in years, maybe that I've ever heard. This woman is not just admitting that she has a dual loyalty. Dual loyalty is usually an accusation that the Jews have to deal with, that they have a dual loyalty to two separate nations. And to a lesser degree, Catholics are accused of it. Uh, President Kennedy certainly was though not quite as much because the Vatican is not a nation state in any modern sense or any meaningful sense. But Ilhan here is admitting something worse than either of those accusations. She's not just saying she has a split loyalty. She's saying that she is only loyal to Somalia, (laughs) full stop. And only after that, only after her total loyalty to Somalia, is she even loyal to Islam. And at no point does she suggest that she's loyal to America at all. The only reason she seems to like America is in as much as she can use America to benefit Somalia. So this woman should, without question, be expelled from Congress over this. And probably she should be deported. 
of all of the outrageous statements that this woman has made over the years, giggling at Osama bin Laden, Al-Qaeda, remember that video? Or, or inveighing against the Jews or comparing the U.S. Army to jihadis. This is on a whole other level. A sitting member of Congress is admitting that she serves another nation without any loyalty whatsoever to our nation. And it's not all her fault. Ilhan Omar's comments reveal a major problem with mass migration, sure. But ironically, they also reveal a major problem with nationalism. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. In just a moment, Anne Hathaway will debunk the myth of heteronormativity. I know you're all on the edge of your seat for that mind-expanding lecture. We'll get to it in a moment. First, though, conservatives have adopted a nationalist stance in recent years, and it's understandable because the libs are trying to peddle liberal globalism, and that's just terrible, and it takes away our political rights and our sovereignty and erases our borders and destroys our way of life. And, and so I get it. I, I'm practically a nationalist in as much as nationalism is the way to oppose liberal globalism. But nationalism has problems, and Ilhan Omar is actually demonstrating some of those problems. Nationalism makes an idol out of the state. It, it, nationalism, don't forget, is not some perfect political arrangement. Nationalism is a relatively new political arrangement for the world order. It comes out of 1648, out of the Peace of Westphalia. The whole point of it is to end the Thirty Years' War and the longer religious conflicts between Catholics and Protestants that that constituted the bloodiest uh, massacre, the the bloodiest bit of warfare at that time in European history. And so they come to this conclusion of nationalism, which says, uh, cuius regio, eus religio, in, in whose realm his religion and it said that basically the the highest order of human affairs will be the nation state and the king and and the civil government. And it was just practical. It was prudential so that the Europeans would stop killing each other. But it, it didn't really resolve much of anything at all. And I don't know, at least for me, I don't view the, the civil authority as the absolute most important thing in the world deserving of all of my loyalty. I I would not say that Somalia is what I am most loyal to. I would not even say that the United States is the entity that I'm most loyal to. I would say I'm most loyal to God. My identity is not first as an American. My identity is first as a Christian. And I'm very fortunate that I live in a Christian country. And even if I didn't live in a Christian country, I would still have some loyalty to my country because it is my country and patriotism is an extension of filial piety. But I worship God. I don't worship Joe Biden, certainly. I don't even worship Donald Trump. I certainly prefer him to Joe Biden. But I don't worship him either. I don't put my, my trust in princes. There's an order of things here. Before nationalism, people understood that. God came first. There was, in fact, a unified religion that unified the whole civilization that we now call the West, very tellingly. We use the term the West. It used to be called Christendom because it was unified by a single religion. And that fell apart in the 16th and 17th centuries. And now we're dealing with nationalism. The problem with nationalism, though, is you got to pick one. Ilhan Omar cannot be an American, truly, 
if she is still loyal to Somalia. But she still has loyalty to Somalia. And it was largely Somalian immigrants who got her elected. So I get that. Frankly, she jokes in her speech. She says, ha ha, I can barely even speak this language. I'm so bad at speaking this language. The knock on her is she's not really a traditional Somalian, but she requires that constituency and they're still loyal to to their old country. Well, you can't have that in a national system because for, for every tiny bit that they're loyal to some other country, they're not loyal to our country. They're just using our country instrumentally to satisfy their own interests to the true nation that holds their loyalty. This is why the only way that you can tolerate immigration of any sort in under... Uh, the nation-state world order, is if people totally give up their loyalty to the nations they're leaving. But people just don't really do that. Some groups have been more successful. The Irish, the Irish basically, but I don't know, even the Irish will wave the Irish flag every now and again. The Italians assimilated very, very well. One mark of how well they assimilated is you can't predict their politics based on their their uh, ethnicity. You can't, ba- you can't predict it based on uh, whether or not their name ends in a vowel. You got Nancy Pelosi on one hand, you got Antonin Scalia on another. You can, but still, the Italians, you know, they've got a little bit of that pride of their heritage. And certainly the more recent immigrants have it in spades. A lot of them won't even learn the English language, have no interest in learning the English language, and the country doesn't even want to, to assimilate them. Well, then you're not going to have a country. For time immemorial, <laughs> going back to Plato and further back, People have recognized that migration poses a major challenge to the country. This is why it's the big issue that's motivating conservative movements all around the West right now, all throughout Europe and in the United States. But it's just a fact. I can't even blame Ilhan Omar. It is in human nature to remain loyal to one's tribe and to one's heritage. And you don't just erase that overnight. But that creates a major, major challenge for nationalism. And you couple that with mass migration and no assimilation. And what you're left with is the destruction of your country. Of, of the country receiving the immigrants as a political entity. The country ceases to be a coherent polity, a, a coherent political community, and it becomes, no, it becomes uh, nothing but a, a commercial enterprise to satisfy the unrelated personal ambitions of, of the people who view it as nothing more than a piggy bank. Very sad, very sad, not good for the future of the United States. Right now, go to preborn.com slash Knowles. Last year, because of you, Preborn's network of clinics saved over 58,000 babies. Thank you to all who made this possible. We need to celebrate these precious babies. When Charlotte found out she was pregnant, she was seven weeks along. In the back of her mind, she thought abortion was the best solution. She went into a preborn clinic, and after hearing her baby's heartbeat and seeing her beautiful baby on ultrasound, she chose life. Her heart is filled with gratitude for all of you who made this possible. Just 28 bucks a month can be the difference between the life and death of a child. When a mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears that heartbeat, it is a divine connection that doubles a baby's chance at life. Let's join together, help mothers choose life. To donate, dial pound 250, say keyword baby. That's keyword baby, or go to preborn.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Preborn fundraises separately for all the administrative costs. So every dollar you give goes straight towards saving babies. Go to preborn.com slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, and donate right now. Speaking of migration, 69% of voters side with Joe, side with, sorry, Texas over Joe Biden. This, according to a new poll from Rasmussen, only 27% of voters oppose Texas taking action to prevent illegal immigration. 
Uh, this breaks down even across constituencies that are not often on the side of conservatives. Uh, black voters overwhelmingly vote Democrat, and yet, according to this poll, 51% of black voters side with Texas. Only 32% of black voters disagree. Two-thirds of independents side with Texas. Only 29% disagree. Uh, this is a huge losing issue for Democrat, which is exactly why Biden and the Democrats are pushing this terrible, terrible immigration bill through the Senate. Right now, you may have heard about it. It's, it's percolating in the background. The, a bipartisan committee of civic-minded Republicans and Democrats are getting together to pass a stinking garbage heap of an immigration bill through the Senate. And the only reason it's coming up is because this issue is, has gotten so bad for Democrats among groups that they need to win to maintain their power that they're trying to hang their hat on anything. I've said from the beginning, the bill is terrible. The first reason that this bill is terrible is because the Democrats are currently in violation of the law. It's, it's not as though there's no law to deal with these migrants. Oh, we've never seen anything like this. We need to get together and find a solution. There are many, many immigration laws on the books that the Democrats are intentionally not enforcing. And when the states are enforcing them, the, Joe Biden and the federal government come in and stop the states from enforcing them. So there can be no negotiation with the Democrats here. The Democrats are proving themselves every second of every day to not be negotiating in good faith. Why should I pass some new law about immigration when I know for a fact today Democrats are not enforcing the current law on immigration? I should have absolutely no trust that the Democrats will enforce anything. They'll take the goodies that we give them. It'll be, it'll be like the Reagan amnesty all over again. They'll take the amnesty that we give them, and they will not give us any of the enforcement in return as has happened time and time again. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice. Fool me three times. To quote George W. Bush, hey, the point is you're not going to fool me again. <laughs> that's, that's what we're looking at here. It'd be one thing if they had returned and were even sort of pretending to enforce the law. They're not. So there's no reason to believe that. But then what the bill would do affirmatively is, is awful too. Absolutely awful. This is being pushed by the Oklahoma Senator Jim Lankford, and the Oklahoma GOP has actually just voted to condemn and censure this supposedly Republican senator because he's pushing this bill. That's great news. I called for that yesterday. Maybe they watched the show. I don't know. I don't want to take credit. If it, but, you know, maybe, who knows? Hey, in any case, glad it's happening. Anyone who votes for this rancid garbage heap of a bill deserves to be thrown out of the Republican Party. I'm, I'm pretty broad-minded. As you know, I try to be fair to all the candidates and different perspectives in the GOP. I've been very nice about the presidential race. This is just heinous. This is, this is political suicide for the Republicans. Not only would voting for this be deeply unjust, it's political suicide. You're just trying to give the Democrats an out. The fact that we're even negotiating this bill is giving Democrats an out, because if it fails, as I hope it does, then the Democrats can say, well, Republicans, they wouldn't, they wouldn't come to a solution on the border. You got a solution, folks. It's already on the books. The Democrats are free to enforce the law if they want. They don't want to because they want an invasion. They just want a patsy to blame it on. And, and rhino Republicans in the Senate seem more than willing to be that patsy, to, to be the court jester in the kingdom of liberalism, which is what, what these pseudo-conservatives always do. In the bill, what this bill would do, according to CBS News, the agreement is expected to give the executive branch a new legal authority to effectively suspend asylum in official ports of entry, in between official ports of entry, when migrant crossings surpass certain thresholds. Okay, hold on. 
So the executive branch will have a new legal authority to suspend asylum. And so the executive branch already has authority to arrest people who enter our country illegally. The executive branch already has authority to streamline asylum claims and deport people who, do, who manifestly don't qualify. The, the executive branch has this authority already. They could just enforce the law. No, they would give them new ones. And, and they could even suspend this, these asylum claims once you hit certain thresholds of crossings. Okay, what are the thresholds? This is amazing. This is according to CBS News, not some right-wing outlet. The uh, the su- suspension of these of the border would be mandated after average daily migrant crossings hit five thousand over seven days. Thirty five thousand people cross in a week. Okay, all of a sudden now the president can start to take a look, maybe slow things down a little bit. Thirty five thousand foreigners crossing into our country illegally, or eighty five hundred in a single day. Eighty five hundred people. In a day, it's uh, by my math, 85,000 people in 10 days. And then by by my math, that's 850,000 people in 100 days. So you're talking about in 100 days, you're upwards of a million people. But there's what, 300, uh, you know, 365 some odd days in a year. So now you're looking at millions and millions of these. Okay, now we can suspend it for a little bit, but not for too long. Not for too long. There would also be a limit on the number of days each year the president could invoke this authority. So, you know, he shuts it down for a few days when you got 8,500 people in a single day crossing, but then eventually he he can't invoke it anymore and they cross. Are you kidding me? This is the great compromise? Oh, thank you. With Republicans like this, who needs Democrats? Any Republican in the Senate who votes for this bill certainly should be primaried, should probably be thrown out of the GOP. It's, it's so egregious on an issue that is so fundamental, even beyond migration. It's just about the, do we have a rule of law or not? And on an issue that is such a political winner for the current Republican position, I can't, unless these people just want to lose. They want to get rid of our borders, flood our country, and just lose anything resembling conservative governance. I have no idea what they are thinking. Speaking of tone-deaf leaders, Karine Jean-Pierre, the president's spokeslady, uh, has uh, come out. She was on MSNBC uh, expressing the White House's condolences over this horrific attack by Iran-backed militants on U.S. troops. What I will say, our deepest, uh, obviously our deepest condolences uh, go out and our heartfelt condolences go out to the families uh, who lost uh, three, three brave uh, three brave, uh, three brave of uh, three folks who are, who are military folks who are brave, who are always fighting, who are fighting on behalf and of uh, this administration of the American people. Obviously, more so, more importantly, uh, we lost those souls, as the president said yesterday when he was in South Carolina. This is about as bad a response as any administration could muster. Military folks to stumble over, you can't say troops, fighters, warriors, service members, military folks, just using colloquial leftist community activist lingo, who have fought on behalf of this administration. And she catches herself and she says, and, and, you know, and even more importantly for our country, it's a Freudian slip. This, this is how they view the military. 
Biden and the Democrats, they view the military and law enforcement as their, as their personal police force. That's why Joe Biden sicks the feds on all of his enemies. That's why he sends the feds to go spy on Catholic churches. That's why he sends his feds to go attack the pro-lifers, knock on their door, arrest them in front of their seven children for what? For opposing infanticide peacefully. That's why. They go, they don't really seem keen on rounding up the, the George Floyd rioters who burned the country to the ground for eight months. They're not, nah, they're too busy for that. But the Midwestern granny who took a selfie in the Capitol, they got to get her. Better get her, throw her in solitary for 40, 41 months. That, that obviously is not about enforcing the law. They don't enforce the law. Look at the border. This is about wielding the law against political enemies. Look what they're doing to Trump. Prosecuting Trump, trying to throw him in prison for things that uh, virtually all of the Democrats have already done and previous presidents have done. Throwing Trump's trade advisor, a senior advisor to the president, Peter Navarro, into prison for something that Hunter Biden did. Hunter Biden gets off scot-free. Navarro goes to jail for four months. And Navarro, by the way, as a senior White House advisor, doesn't have to answer these congressional subpoenas. There's executive privilege. Hunter Biden can't claim any of that. Doesn't matter. It, this is how they view it. So they say, oh yeah, these people, they serve. They serve the administration. Thank you so much for serving Joe Biden and the Democrats. So in the midst of all of this decay and chaos, we see the prospect of World War III on the horizon. And this has become a theme of President Trump's campaign. I am the only candidate who can make this promise to you. I will prevent World War III. And we're very close to World War III. We're very close to World War III. Trump is known for his hyperbolic rhetoric, for making big, big promises. Some, maybe he doesn't necessarily keep every aspect of the promises. This one, to me, is the most credible campaign promise that Trump can possibly make. And it looks very good on him. And when you want to look good, you got to check out Genucel. Right now, go to genucel.com slash Knowles. Here is a great New Year's resolution that you can actually keep. Whether you have three minutes in the morning or 30 minutes, keep your face wrinkle-free with Genucel. Introducing Gen 90, the new instant wrinkle treatment from Genucel. Gen 90 instantly reduces the appearance of wrinkles anywhere you use it. From around your eyes, forehead, crow's feet, or laugh lines, it starts working in seconds. Genucel says their Gen 90 is two generations better than any immediate effects product and years ahead of the skincare market. The technology is luxurious, nourishing, and silk smooth. The results are game changers for you or your money back. So what are you waiting for? Make your fine lines and wrinkles disappear with Genucel. You know, I love this company. The founder is a Coptic Christian from Egypt, left for the American dream. Right now, our listeners will get not only over 70% off Genucel's most popular package, but also free shipping. Head to genucel.com slash Knowles, Canada BLES. Secure your Gen 90 product before they sell out. Genucel.com slash Knowles, Canada BLES. Today, genucel.com slash Knowles. Trump says he is the only candidate who can promise to stop World War III. You know I like Trump. Let's say you hate Trump. Can you really deny his foreign policy successes? The man had the greatest foreign policy probably of any president in my lifetime. George H.W. Bush did a good job managing the first Iraq war and managing the dismantling of the Soviet Union. He did a pretty good job at that. So maybe, but, but Trump was great. Trump destroyed ISIS. 
Trump was able to uh, avoid getting the U.S. too bogged down in the Middle East, unlike both of his predecessors, many of his predecessors, actually, not just Obama and Bush, but Clinton, Bush one to a lesser degree. He seemed like a dove. He was making peace with the leader of North Korea, for goodness sakes, on the one hand. But then on the other hand, he'd take out Iran's top general. So Iran learns not to mess with us. Look at what Iran is doing to us now when we have weak leadership. The, The only president in over 20 years under whose watch Vladimir Putin did not further invade a sovereign country. <laughs> George, George W. Bush, what happens? Putin comes to power right around the year 2000. George W. Bush becomes president. Putin invades Georgia. Then Barack Obama becomes president. Putin invades Crimea. Then Trump becomes president. Crickets, nothing. Then Biden becomes president. Putin launches the special military operation, further invades Crimea, and bogs us down in a war where we're effectively a belligerent. Pretty good stuff, man. Donald Trump brought peace to the Middle East. The guy got the Abraham Accords. He got Saudi Arabia to the table with the state of Israel. Pretty impressive. And now we've got a major war that's breaking out in the Middle East that, that we can't contain. And that, and that has already taken American lives because of the, the failure of the Biden administration to contain the war. Of anything you want to you accuse Trump of, the guy, this is a great campaign theme. Because it really cuts through the noise. It, it reminds me of Ronald Reagan. Are you, are you better now than you were four years ago talking about Jimmy Carter? Are you better? It, it, Trump could run on that. And, and with the prospect of world war in front of us, that's a good theme. Now, meanwhile, the libs are mocking Trump and they're mocking Trump over things that they know nothing about, like this guy on SNL. Trump did have a slight stumble this week while talking about banks. And he introduced an interesting new term called D-Bank. We're also going to place strong protections to stop banks and regulators from trying to debank you. They want to debank you, and we're going to debank. I don't know what the hell debank means, but he might have to take de-ambulance to see the doctor. This guy doesn't know what debank means because liberals have never had to deal with it. And because he doesn't read the news. And because the news he does read doesn't tell him what's actually going on in politics, and because he didn't even Google it and doesn't even he didn't even read the Wikipedia page about debanking. This is this is not Trump sometimes makes up words like kofefe, but this is not a word he made up. This is a real phenomenon. And it's when liberals wield their institutional political power, not necessarily in the government, but in the, the supposedly private sector that makes up all the rest of our life, and they wield their soft power in those areas to deprive people of their bank accounts. That's what they do. And it's happened a lot. You especially see this in the United Kingdom. Trump, or rather, Nigel Farage, who's the British Trump, Nigel Farage, leader of Brexit, he had his his bank taken away from him, ostensibly for political reasons. Stuart Campbell, who's a Scottish independence activist, he had his bank taken away. And the reason appears to be because he criticized wokeness and specifically transgender ideology. Anglican vicar, Reverend Richard Fothergill, he got his bank taken away. Why? It appears to be over the trans issue too. And you could be next. These libs have never heard of this because they don't have to deal with it. There's no risk that, that, you know, the conservatives who control the banks are going to take away their their checking accounts. That's never going to happen. There's no such thing. There's zero risk. And they don't read any of the news and the fake news media that, that you know, co- constitute the New York Times and the Washington Post and NBC and ABC and all, all of the, the 
outlets that they read, they just don't report on this stuff because it's unflattering. Amazing. Now, not one writer at one of the biggest shows at one of the big TV networks had ever even heard of a major political tactic wielded by the liberals against the conservatives. Now, speaking of Trump, Nikki Haley, the last person left in the GOP race to oppose Trump, has just come out and weighed in on the E. Jean Carroll story. E. Jean Carroll is that New York gossip columnist who a few years ago came out and said that Trump raped her in a a dressing room at Bergdorf Goodman. And uh, when she was asked why she waited, you know, 30 years or however long it was to, to bring this, this up. She didn't really have a good answer. And then after a while, she said she, she suspects most women fantasize about being raped. And then she didn't use the word rape. She said, she said something like being ravished. The whole thing was, was really odd. She had a bizarre interview with Anderson Cooper about it. The lady seems a little kooky. Let's put it that way. So Nikki Haley was asked if she believes that Trump sexually assaulted this woman. Here's her answer. The jury has now ruled. They have found him liable of sexual abuse. Do you not trust the jury and their findings, Ambassador? I absolutely trust the jury. And I think that they made their decision based on the evidence. I just don't think that should take him off the ballot. I think the American people will take Mm -hmm. him off the ballot. I think that's the best way to go forward is not let him play the victim. Let him play the loser. That's what we want him to do at the end of the day. So this is a principled enough answer from Nikki. She's saying, yeah, I trust the jury. I trust the court process, even if the courts have been obviously extremely slanted against Trump in recent years, and then they're trying to get him over anything and everything to keep him off the ballot. I trust the courts, but even if he's a rapist, that, that doesn't mean you can kick him off the ballot. The, peop- the only people who can kick him off the ballot are, are the people when they vote for him or not. And that's a principled enough answer. That's the constitutional answer. However, this represents an escalation in the primary battle between Trump and Nikki. Nikki Haley is a very good politician. And so she governed as a relatively moderate centrist governor of South Carolina. And then she got some right-wing cred when she worked for Trump as the UN ambassador, was very popular in that role. Then she left. She got some more establishment cred. Uh, Then she kind of turned on Trump. Then she essentially endorsed Trump again and said she wouldn't run if he were running, and then she ran against him. And so I say all this to, to say she's she's pretty talented. She's pretty good at this. And there, there was a world in which maybe Trump would pick her to be his running mate, maybe. Or maybe he would put her in the cabinet again. I, I don't think that would be very likely. But now that's over. We've now entered a new phase of the primary, such as it is, This is going to be scorched earth. Nikki Haley just called Donald Trump a rapist. (laughs) She said, my opponent, I believe, is a rapist. I think he he raped that woman, or at the very least molested or sexually assaulted her, whatever the the euphemism is now, in a department store in Bergdorf Goodman. How, How does Donald Trump not just put all of his firepower on Nikki Haley now? How does this, uh, the only reason that Trump would refrain from doing that is because he just sees that she poses no threat to him whatsoever. So he's just going to focus on Biden and he's going to continue to walk away with the states. But that is a whole new level 
Uh, Nikki has talked about picking her lane. I've said from the beginning, Nikki was very smart to pick the lane. She's the anti-Trump candidate and and she's going to consolidate that support in a way that Ron DeSantis couldn't because he was trying to play both lanes. Okay, well, she picked her lane and uh, now I think she's probably stuck in it for good. Speaking of weird sex stuff, Anne Hathaway, the actress, recently called to debunk the myth of hetero cis-normativity at the Human Rights Campaign Gala. That's the campaign with the equal sign where it's these radical leftist sex people who uh, successfully lobbied to abolish marriage and redefine it and then started pushing a bunch of weird trans stuff. What I love most about this community is the way you own the alphabet. L, G, B, T, T, Q, Q, I, A, A, P. No letter left behind. No, for real. What I love about this community is the freedom. The freedom that comes with being yourself, all of yourself. I love the energy, the activism, the generosity, the light, the shade. The fun. I love the dignity that accompanies self-acceptance. It is important to acknowledge that with the exception of being a cisgender male, everything about how I was born has put me at the current center of a damaging and widely accepted myth. That myth is that gayness orbits around straightness, transgender orbits around cisgender, and that all races orbit around whiteness. Yeah. Okay, man. So we're going to debunk that myth of heteronormativity. What does this woman think normal means? Normal has two meanings. Normal means just the average, just what is common, what people generally do. And and normal can also refer to a norm or a standard that people fall short of, but they aim at. Neither of those describe what Anne Hathaway is talking about here. There is nothing like the dignity of accepting yourself. You know, like when you're a man, but you want to be a woman, so you chop up your body and shorten your life and increase your risk of suicidality and depression and anxiety uh, to look like someone that you are not. It's that kind of self-acceptance that is so dignified. So dignified, you know, going out there on the street during the pride parade and wearing the little leather chaps and smacking each other around and getting on all fours like that uh, energy czar under Joe Biden, the one who was stealing women's clothing at the airport, you know, and taking pictures of him with men on collars and leashes and like leather outfits. It's just so dignified. You know, if I had one word to describe it, I guess that word would probably be dignified, wouldn't it? Reminds me of, I think I quote him at, at this point every single day, the late, great Norm Macdonald, had a whole bit, which he did in San Francisco once, about the Pride Parade. And he said, you know, man, you know I totally understand, you know. If I, if I had a kid who was gay and everything, I'd love that kid. And he saw, he saw some parents at a Pride Parade said, we're proud of our son. He said, I'd love, I'd love, I'd love the kid, you know. And uh, I'd, you know, I'd welcome that kid and I'd hug him. And I don't know if I'd be proud 
Exactly. I don't. What's there to be proud of? I not a lot. I would say not. That's not. It's not the sort of thing you know you get an award for. Not the sort of thing you should. If you have some weird sex thing that you do, you know, I would probably just encourage you to not do that. But if you're going to do it, you know, just like kind of don't <laughs> don't make us all like see it and talk about it all the time and have it in the middle of the streets and have big galas and invite Hollywood celebrities. Just like kind of you know you don't you don't need to you don't need to make everything a big show. But they do. And the reason that they do is because they want to make that the norm in both senses of the word. The way that most people behave, these radical activists want to change how most people behave. That's why they're putting this stuff in elementary schools. And even the standards that we aim at, that we all fall short of all the time, they want to change those too. They want to deny the objective moral order. They want to deny objective standards of truth, beauty, and goodness. And they want to impose their own totally subjective versions. They want to make man into a god, a god who can reorder everything according to his own fantasies. It doesn't work out very well. Speaking of matters of the heart, Valentine's Day is coming up fast. Jeremy's has the perfect gift to surprise your better half. Whether you're shopping for him or her, Jeremy's has a bundle they will love. From delicious chocolate to smooth razors to the iconic leftist-ears tumbler, to celebrate, Jeremy's is offering a 20% discount on all Valentine's Day bundles, but you have to act fast because this offer is only here for a limited time. Go to jeremysrazors.com right now. Order your Valentine's Day bundle before they're gone. Jeremy's Valentine's Day sale, the best way to treat your Valentine and yourself. My favorite comment yesterday is from Larry Gale Nazelli, who says, don't worry, the one in five are already mailing in their straight ticket Democrat ballot. Oh, the one in five who could be influenced by Taylor Swift. Yeah, probably. Though, is there ever, when was the last time we had the biggest pop star supporting a Republican? You know, to me, that's just sort of baked in. And Taylor Swift is a big pop star. We've had big pop stars too. And they just, I don't know, Sinatra, I think was maybe the last one we had that was Republican. And even he was kind of, he was also buddies with Kennedy. So that's just kind of, kind of baked into it at this point, I think. Speaking of abnormality, An abortion doula just gave a lecture at the Catholic University of America. I was disinvited from a Catholic university called the University of St. Thomas because I I don't believe in transgenderism. I was just disinvited from the University of St. Thomas, twice actually, I think, uh, because I believe in Catholicism (laughs) and Catholic teachings on these questions, the completely unchanged consistent Catholic teaching of 2,000 years. That's why they disinvited me. And now we have a Catholic university inviting an abortion doula. What's an abortion doula? An abortion doula is like a doula, you know, and a doula is just a hippie term for a midwife, nanny, you know, helper uh, who will help help a woman as she's giving birth to a baby and then in the early days while the, while the, you know, the newborn is, is uh, nice and fresh, you know, and the mother's trying to sleep, a doula can help out then. Well, an abortion doula is like that, except for killing the babies. This abortion doula, she spoke on her experiences coaching, coaching women through delivering or aborting babies, as well as coaching pregnant men to deliver in what she referred to as a seahorse birth. Uh, this is according to audio of the lecture obtained by the Daily Signal. She also practices Reiki, which is an occult practice that involves demons. Uh, so she does that, Catholic University. Her name is uh, the woman who invited her, rather, is Melissa Goldberg. She is a psychology lecturer at 
Catholic University. The doula's name is Rachel Carbonneau. Sounds kind of voodoo-y. And this was for uh, Psychology 379 Lifespan Development. So one of the students, a nursing student named Felipe Avila, said it was really upsetting. The fundamental point is to understand human development from conception to natural death, right? And they brought in someone who counsels women to terminate life. What's that about? It's crazy. It's actually destructive to their, you know, if you go to Catholic University, you are supposed to be receiving a Catholic education. This contradicts the Catholic education. This confuses the Catholic education. Bringing in this woman to speak harms the education of students. It it doesn't really help it at all. Other than perhaps to expose them to just how radically depraved the culture has become outside of uh, Catholic thinking. But the libertarians aren't going to like my suggestion here that maybe CUA should cancel these kinds of people. What, what, the question you got to ask yourself is, what's the point of education? Is the point of education to just hear everything, man? Just open your mind up, you know, to totally, to everything. Look, I am the most canceled speaker in America of 2023 per the uh, Foundation for Individual Rights and in Education. Okay? I'm, I speak, I know what I'm talking about here. And I, I, totally defend the right of certain schools to exclude certain speakers. If, if you send your kid to Communist Academy, it's probably not a good idea to invite me to speak there. You know, the parents and the kids are paying to be indoctrinated into communism and to, to have a, a communist ideology, and I'm going to contradict that. Probably not a, not a great idea. Now, I, I think I should still probably go because communism is false, and there is such a thing as truth, and we can know about it, and we should prefer truth to falsehood. But that's what we're talking about here. I was talking to my friend Yoram Hazoni, the Israeli philosopher, who called my attention to a, a, a phrase that slipped into our culture that I think is just so, it didn't even occur to me how bad this phrase is. The, the phrase is critical thinking. You know, you hear it sometimes, educators, even on the right, they'll say, we don't want to teach our students what to think, only how to think, as if you could do one without the other, as, as, if, as if you could ever know how to think without knowing specific things to think. You know, two plus two equals four. Murder is bad, whatever. But, but he said this phrase, critical thinking. Why, why do we have all this critical thinking? Whatever happened to constructive thinking? Constructive thinking is when you learn a thing and then you build on that. And then you build on that, you build on that, and eventually you have an edifice of knowledge before you. Critical thinking just pokes holes in everything. It seems related to critical theory, critical studies, just debunking and deconstructing and tearing everything down to the point that by the time you graduate, you're dumber than when you went in. There, there was a survey, it came out a while ago now, I think from ISI 2007, that, that showed that students at elite colleges in America got dumber the longer they attended. That, that graduating seniors knew less about history and civics than incoming freshmen. That's critical thinking for you. That's deconstruction. I like constructive thinking. And I like banning speakers who are harmful to education. Now, speaking of norms and women... Alyssa Milano, Alyssa Milano, very excitable left-wing figure and actress. She just took to Twitter to beg her many followers for money for her kids' baseball team. 
tweets out a GoFundMe. My son's baseball team is raising money for their Cooperstown trip, you know, Baseball Hall of Fame. Any amount would be so greatly appreciated. You can read more about the team and make a donation here. Okay. Got, got almost 12 million views. It's a bad look. It's a bad look because Alyssa Milano is really, really rich. Unless she's completely mishandled her money, Alyssa Milano has made millions and millions, probably tens of millions of dollars over the course of her life. And she doesn't need to be begging her followers to chip in a penny. This is not a good look. This is annoying when people do this around the office. You know, it's luckily no one does it here because the average age at this company is like 12. But, you know, I remember this would happen in my mother's office as a kid. I all around the, the schools say, hey, sell wrapping paper or hey, sell this thing or that thing to raise money for a, a field trip. And then you give it to your parents and your parents go around the office and they say, uh, would you mind donating to my school's, my kid's school thing? And it just, it never ends. Okay. Well, it's bad enough when it's just a regular middle-class person in an office. Alyssa Milano is a very famous, very wealthy Hollywood celebrity. Not a good look. Ho- very famous, very wealthy Hollywood celebrities should be donating, not just to their kids' baseball teams, but to other, to other um, charities as well. I don't know what her charitable giving looks like, but it's really bad for wealthy, powerful people to be spending around GoFundMes. It represents a fundamental shift in our country where, to quote John Kennedy, people no longer ask what they can do for their country. Instead, they ask what their country can do for them. They, they treat their country j- just like Ilhan Omar treats her country. It's just an instrument for one's personal interests and, and uh, other loyalties and other sympathies. It's not good. Both the left and the right have lost a conception of the common good and, and uh, of, of giving of themselves to their community, to even have a community to, to which they can be loyal. We deny that in our age of radical individualism and, and radical liberalism. And, and, but if you don't do that, if you don't give to your community, then you're not going to be able to construct anything. You're not going to be able to build. The only thing you're going to leave to your children is an inheritance of debt and a country in rubble. Got to change that thinking. Okay, there's no member block because I'm flying out to La La Land. Wish me luck. I've got some fun stuff coming up this week. Going to be filming some stuff for PragerU. You know, I have a show over there and five-minute videos. And then, as important, I've got a cool podcast that I'm going on. I will let you know more about that as it approaches. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow.